earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called light. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. You might want to bend your knees, guys. This is going to be a long one. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters, which were below the expanse from the waters, which were also above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. You may be seated. Thank you, Greg. Well, good morning, Rollins. Before I go to prayer, I just want to make a couple observations. One, we're in Genesis. Um, we announced for a while, that, about a month ago, that we'd be spending time in Genesis and we'll be spending the next six months, six months walking through a foundational book uh, that contributes to the Old Testament and the New Testament in significant portions. I want to uh, make an obvious but I think necessary statement uh, for some who have grown accustomed to our patterns in Romans, where we took shorter sections um, and carefully walked through that. Uh, you will find that it is my ambition that we not spend the next six years in Genesis. Um, I appreciate narrative and what it tries to communicate. And so as I separate the book of Genesis out to preach, I'm trying to take sections in which the theological, there's enough information there to create a theological worldview for us to respond to. And I can acknowledge that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is sufficient in that. Um, but the reality is, is that God chose specifically not to end his creation account in verse 1. And so for that reason, it takes longer and larger sections to consider as we understand the creation account. And we'll find that as we go along. Like next week, I'll be handling even a larger section. Um, I hope that you understand that uh, I'm not going to be doing a verse-by-verse verse in that sense, but a more a theological idea being communicated through these sections of Scripture. And so with that said, I will disappoint some. Because I won't be able to hit everything in a section. And so uh, if you find something in a section that which is not hinted on or hidden or addressed, please love to sit down with you and talk about those things. Or go talk to your small group and which is going to exist for the purpose to capture some of these con uh, ongoing conversations. So with that said, let's begin. Let's pray. Lord, we have declared in worship because we have seen, we have heard, uh, we have witnessed the beauty of your creation. And Lord, we recognize we live in a world that is trying to contemplate their place in the midst of the world that we live. And so, Lord, as we come to recognize in the very beginning, you spoke to the nation of Israel, giving context for where in the world we're at and who in the world we are. And so, Lord, I pray that even after our discussion and our reflection on this passage, we walk out these doors and we look at the world in front of us as you have determined us to see it as. And that we would accept the unique position that you have given us as being created in the image of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 1, 
I feel like I must say this, not because I want to, but because I have to in light of the world that we live. It's, it's pretty easy when you come to Genesis chapter 1 to, to when someone is teaching from it, whether it be in the classroom or behind the pole, but to ask the simple question, what is this man as he views the world in front of him in regards to does he believe in an old earth or a young earth? And before I answer where I am, I need to stress something because the scientific method which we have all been brought up in is so significant that it has shaped the very way that we read the creation account. And I feel that if we allow that question or to treat Genesis chapter 1 as more about God revealing when he created creation, then we do an injustice towards this revelation which God has revealed to us. Uh, At the time in which this was revealed to the nation of Israel, this worldview conflicted with the worldviews around them. The gods of which Egypt and the, the pagan societies worshipped were at conflict with one another. And as they were trying to dominate their supremacy and call the subjects of humanity to submission to their wills, whether it be the God of the oceans or the sun or the moon. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it stands in conflict to all the worldviews around it. In the beginning, God. Not gods, but God created the heavens and the earth. And so when it was revealed, it stood in conflict. And I would say that since that day to the present, it still stands in conflict with the worldviews around us. I have brothers and sisters who both believe in an old and young earth. And each have their reasons. And so for me, so that you know where I'm at, I believe God created the heavens and earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. I do this Because if I don't do it here, as I continue to read the Old Testament, I have challenges. And so this is one of the reasons why I lean where I lean. But I don't like answering the question because I think it does an injustice to the the purpose of the text. When I go home, I know where I'm at. And the structure of where I'm at at home determines how I function within that home. I often have to tell my kids, settle down. This is not an amusement park. The reality is the function of a house is a place to rest, eat, and enjoy family together. An amusement park has places where you can run and experience the extremes of living life on the edge, so to speak. When I walk into a hospital, I recognize immediately the function of the hospital and what I might find within it. Doctors and nurses who heal the sick and the weak. When I go to a restaurant, I can expect when I sit down at my table that I might at some point have food. Understanding what we're in determines there then for what we might do within it. But you've got to be specific at times example, when you go into a restaurant, you might want to know exactly what type of restaurant you're going in. When Beth and I were dating, she used to work in an Asian restaurant. 
And I grew up a farm boy out in the country life, and all we ate was meat and potatoes, pancakes for breakfast. And we went to this Asian restaurant, and I saw a list of foods I had never seen before, and I could not pronounce them. And as I looked at the list, my wife ordered something that I could not pronounce. And at the very bottom of the menu, there stood a cheeseburger. (laughs) The function of the restaurant helps determine, even in those moments, what you should be ordering. And the owner who was sitting in our... and serving us, and it was taking our order, I said, I will have the cheeseburger. And she said, you come here, and you order cheeseburger? And I said, it's on the menu. (laughs) We recognize, when we go to an Asian restaurant, even if the cheeseburger's there, it's really for the kid who doesn't want to experience new things, that the function of the Asian restaurant is that you eat Asian food. And I think, if you'll let me, the book of Genesis is not primarily about when, but what in the world we're living in. We live in a world that wants to treat the world that we live in as a petri dish. Survival of the fittest. It's chaos. It's disorganized. What you read in Genesis 1 stands in conflict to that trying to give the nation of Israel and God's people context. Where in the world are you at? And that's the simple questions that I want to ask this morning. One, where in the world are we? Of all people on this planet, we ought to know where we're at. And two, ask the question, who are we? Who in the world are we? So I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to ask the first question twice. Where in the world are we? That'll be point one and point three. In the middle, we're going to ask, who in the world are we? So that as we leave from Genesis chapter one, we have context. And if you'll let the author do what he's doing, oh man, you'll understand why we're here. Because God... He could have finished in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It could have been sufficient enough to stop there. But God wanted to clarify even further where in the world we are. So if you would let me, point one, where in the world are we? We'll recognize the unique position we stand within all creation and where in the world we are. So if you have your Bibles, let's, let's walk through this and consider what it might challenge us with. Genesis chapter 1, where in the world are we? Well, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God stands outside of all of his creation. He created the heavens and the earth. And you see in verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse 2 is unique. It's a declarative summary of the positional state of the earth before God begins to shape it. It's like uh, formless and empty. It's like a clump of clay that has not taken on its form or purpose yet. Yet even in this, what we would see in disorder, what might be perceived disorder, the the, the, the Spirit moves the writer and reveals, even in that position, verse 2, 
The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. One thing that you, you have to acknowledge throughout the entire Genesis account of origins is the sovereign authority which God is exercising over everything. Nothing is at random. Everything is under His power and not getting away from Him. Even in its beginnings. Uh, one thing I find fascinating about this section as well is the emphasis that we place it on is creation, but the emphasis what the writer wants us to consider is the Creator. God himself. See that God, while he is creator of the heavens and the earth, verse 3, he speaks. Verse 3, one who has sovereignty outside of creation, who created its beginning. Where in the world are we? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. There's a God who stands outside of creation that when he speaks, it comes into being. But in this section, what is fascinating and what you see beginning to see the power of God put on display is that he, he creates light, yet it has not yet its form. You don't see the form of light take place until the fourth day. You actually see a God, you see the word there in verse 4, God separated the light in our context, separate, carries this idea of like tearing and ripping apart, right? No, but it's more of the purpose of like separated towards, not disorder, but towards order. It's placing the light in which he has created and separated and designating it to its proper sphere, you have a God that not only speaks, that what, when he actually creates that which he speaks, he demonstrates his sovereignty to designate where it exists, even without its form yet designated. Cool. And not only does he have the authority to designate what that which he creates, but then he comes to the point where he evaluates what he creates and and anticipates or makes sure or ensures that which he creates is good. You're going to see this pattern all the way throughout creation. I emphasize it for this point as we go on. You will see that he continues to do that. In the first, first series of days, you see that God is not only here in this first one creating this idea of time. He's designated light and he's separated it from the darkness but then in that, he creates with this light a pattern of time. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Yet he doesn't stop there. He goes on not only to establish this idea of time that which we are in some ways enslaved to, but he also created this idea of space. Look at verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse. Uh, ideas like stretching out in the midst of the waters. And let it separate. He designates the waters from the waters. And how did he spread out and designate these waters? Verse 7. 
God made the expanse and the separated the waters which were below and the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. What's great about the creation narrative and its esteem that carries its, well, its, its um, purpose all the way through is a God who is in control and creation is submitting to his control. You got in the first day the idea of time being established. In the second day, you have this idea of space being established. Verse 9. You have the establishment as well of land. There's two waters. Excuse me, before I go to waters. Carries, as he separated and expanded, he created waters upon the earth. And he created waters upon the, uh, above the, in the skies. Still to this day, a child continues to look at the skies and wonder how clouds float. Who put them there? I love my four-year-old because they ask simple questions like that to which I always respond, well, God put them there. He stretched them out and designated not only waters to be in the Columbia River, but in the skies as well. While he created the skies as space and the river as space, he also created dry land, verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So like in the first ten verses, you have God who takes earth that is formless and he shapes it like an individual who works with clay and makes it a functioning piece. He makes a sphere. He creates light within that sphere. He creates darkness. He gives time and space. Still to this day, we know why the oceans stop where they stop and the rivers don't spread further than they're supposed to. Because what creation is being, or God is revealing in his creation account is he's sovereign over all these things. But not only that, once you get to verse 11, you see this transition and that he begins to fill it with life. Then God said, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. This is cool. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And so what did the earth do? It brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with their seed in them and after their kind. And God saw that it was good. This is where I can excel because I was a fruit farmer or the son of a fruit farmer. Strawberries produce a seed and that seed produces strawberry plants. You take an apple and you cut it open you put the apple seed in the ground or a cherry. You take the seed, you put it in the ground. You take a watermelon, you put the seed in the ground. What do you get? It's fruit according to its kind. Wheat. As it grows and it dies and the seed is relief. When you plant that seed, what do you get? Wheat. The point of the creation account is that God has created his world with order that functions according to its kind. Not only that, this was evening and there was evening, a morning on the third day. He creates this vegetation 
all without the purpose of a sun, just light undesignated, giving life to these plants. It's not until day four that you begin to give, you see the Lord begin to designate his power and give the light its proper designation. Look at this, verse 14. And then God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens. It's him who can stretch it out and place it where he desires to separate, to designate it towards order for where he wants it. So then God said, let there light be lights in this expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. It's not till day four that God determines for the light to exist within the sun. What are we seeing? We're seeing a God who is creator and is designating where he wants everything to be within his creation. So when I see the sun, I can tell my children, how did the sun get its purpose of carrying light? People of God said, well, God gave the sun its light. Designated the light to the sun to which to give today the length of our days. We know that there's 24 hours in a day, and those 24-hour days gather into weeks and into weeks, months, and months, years, in which the season still to this day, we recognize the function of what the sun plays over all of his creation. It has not wavered. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites, in which it portrays the sun that it comes up in the evening or in the morning, and it's so excited that it has been designated the purpose of bearing light that it runs across the sky every day. Verse 16. Not only did he designate that to the sun, but he also designated the light to the moon and even to the stars. God made the two lights, great lights and the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. It was evening and it was morning, a fourth day. You're tracking with me well. At least I hope so. But can't you see? He's designating his sovereign to his creation, and his creation is submitting to him. There's no hint of of chaos. Everything that's been created operates according to its kind. And it's this, this idea which God creates so that it might work. When we get to the fifth day, He's not only content with filling it with vegetation, he begins to give it more than that, even in its waters. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. Which, we put that there? Why do birds fly? Well, because God created a sky and he filled it with birds with which the waters, so excuse me, and let the birds fly above the earth, verse 20, in the open expanse of the heavens, verse 21. And God created even the most terrifying sea creatures. That's the idea. Uh, I love swimming. I love swimming with small fish. 
Um, do you ever get a chance to see a, a bigger fish than you are? Uh, there's a reason why I get out of the water. There's something terrifying about swimming with something that's bigger than you in the waters. Even in the Columbia River, we know there's fish that are in there that are bigger than us. They, they capture the imagination of our mind. I think it's the intent. But we know in the ocean there are significant creatures. And even in the pagan world in which this was revealed to, the idea of the great sea monsters were those who were like out of control. And here you have a revelation that God has created them. Even the most terrifying creatures. And every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm after their kind, every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them. And just like the vegetation which was supposed to reproduce after their kind, God said to them in verse 22, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Getting closer and closer. And by the sixth day, we recognize that something significant happens. First, first we recognize that God fills the earth, verse 24, the land. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth after their kind. He's got this order. It's emphasized over and over and over You can tell a kid, and they can recognize, like, cats produce cats, and dogs produce dogs, and there may variation be of a dog, but it's still a dog, donkey, a horse, like, giraffes give birth to giraffes. Well, who ordered it that way? God. God said, let, verse 24, let the earth be forth of living creatures after their kind, cattle and creepy things, creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. Who made the spider? Scary little things. We went out on a walk yesterday. We found ticks. Who made them? I have to remind myself and my kids about verse 25. God made the beasts of the earth and after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Like for the people of Israel, God in these first 25 verses has revealed where in the world they are in his creation which he has organized and he has sovereignly created. And so I want to stop there because, and go to our second question, but if we were to stop there, we might, we might fail at understanding what we're in still because God continues here in chapter 2 to describe what we're in. And if we were to stop right here, we would find ourselves just asking the question, where in the world are we at? We might answer in his creation. And that would be insufficient as we will see here in chapter 2. But before we get there, let's, we're going to ask the question again. Let's go to our second question. Who in the world are we? 
We see that being described in verse 26. We're distinctly different among all creation. There's a reason why mankind lives upon the land and not upon the sea. Some try and always wish to get back to land. In fact, I was thinking about doing chaplaincy, and as soon as I heard that the, 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 the Navy might make a chaplain in a submarine, I was done. My heart longs for why? Well, we find some of this here in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And on the sixth day where man is written, the beast has been made for the land, God said. And look at the repetition and the striving what the writer tries to present so that man might know who they are. Let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So as if you didn't miss it, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male, female, he created them. Talk a little bit about the male and female he created them next week in chapter 2. But the reality is, is that which the author is trying to present and remind us of is there is something unique about humanity in contrast to everything around us. We're made in his image. The, oh man, the lengths of discussion that have been uh, written on just trying to describe the depth of what it means to be made in the image of God. It's exhaustive and I will not try to ex- uh, reveal all of it here this morning. I think the emphasis is quite simple, but it means this idea that, that mankind has, became, has been created uniquely as the representative of God. A king, historically, this is not a foreign idea to the nation of Israel, he would establish for himself statues, statues of himself throughout all of creation. Why? Because he couldn't be everywhere in his kingdom at the same point in time. And so he would create statues of himself to remind all of his citizens that he was in charge of the kingdom. And in a similar way, God has created the invisible, excuse me, the invisible God has created an image of himself in the visible world to represent himself to all of creation. So this is important because we recognize that we know that the function of a house is important, but when you understand who you are, it determines how you might function within the house. A doctor knows how he's supposed to act in the hospital. So asking the fundamental question, who in the world are we, is important. And this is where purpose of life can go off to the wayside, is if we don't understand who in the world we are. One, we are created by the invisible God to be the visible representative of God to his creation. And we've been created according to his own image and in his likeness. Now, look around the room, you move. Statues don't move. God has created, the invisible God has created man, the image of God, according to his likeness. He is living. 
and moves and speaks. And so, verse 26 becomes huge in understanding what in the world we are. Look at verse 27, the repetition. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's interesting. So in some ways, we know that humanity has been created to have a unique relationship with its creator. But in the same way, humanity has been uniquely be created also to be able to appeal or to understand, like the world around them, that they are like creation. So we are like God and like creation, male and female. We are able to relate to the world around us because we are like it, but we're not fully like it because we have been made in the image of God to which we live in His likeness. And therefore, verse 28, which is already said in verse 26. Now, we've got to be careful because you might have heard it sad that man is now the culmination of all God's creation. Well, maybe. I think it's true to say that mankind is the culmination of his, of being, of his creatures. But it's not the culmination of the origin account, which we have read this morning. Some, there's, there's not six days or seven days. Seventh day is the culmination of all of his origins. And so while it is true that man is made unique, let us not forget there's one more day with significant impact on our understanding in the world in front of us. But notice, not only have we been created in his image, not only in his likeness, but we have purpose. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with we recognize this familiar language. We're like creation, but we're not like it. Multiplying like it, but we don't live like it. We subdue it. We rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. No cherry tree has been given that type of authority. No strawberry plant has been given that no no dog, no cat as he might think, has been given that authority to rule over the rest of creation. You see the, the unique position that humanity has been placed. We have been given the right to rule. So we're like, we're in the likeness of God, the likeness of creation, but to represent the invisible God physically to his creation. Cool. Verse 29. Then God said, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree which is, has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. You can eat it. You ever see a cherry tree try to eat a peach tree? The point is, just as God has sovereignty, God has given an authority to mankind. And every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant free food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Yeah, so coming 
remind you what point we're on, point two. Who in the world are we? Yeah. We are created in the image of God. And I've given really realistic, more of a simplistic answer to that idea, but it is we are for the invisible God, the representatives of, of his glory to the rest of creation. So where you have man, the presence of man is the real declaration before the world that there is a God. And man's function is to reveal that reality to the world in front of him. Let's go back to that first question. So where in the world are we? So we understand now what we are. So a doctor understands what he's supposed to do in the hospital. Right? Like a cook knows what he's supposed to do at Texas Roadhouse. He's supposed to cook steak. Right? So when we understand what our purpose is, it begins to shape and help us understand where in the world we're at. And if you, be, if you allow me, in, in some ways, I have to unfold this. Look at verses chapter 2 and 1 and 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. Now notice with this day, no longer does God say. It's done. It's like he's created the universe, and it functions. It works. So by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The, 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 the phrases and the terms that are used here in these three verses are specific and significant. Three times sevens show up. The seventh day is sanctified, it's holy. You have this idea of rest that takes place. The culmination of God's creation was not its first day, its first six days, it was its seventh day. The point, it was holy, distinct, sanctified, unlike any other day before it. Like a mechanic who works on a car. There's a point in which working on the car is done. And he can rest in the fruit of his efforts when he puts the key in the car, turns it over, and it runs. God in his sovereignty created a world that when it was done, it was finished. And he could look back and it Worked. It was sanctified. It was holy. And the significance of these three verses, which I find troubling to strive to explain them, is that it will take the rest of the Old Testament to describe the significance of the seventh day. I won't spend the rest of the old the, this morning reading to you the entire rest of the Old Testament to show you the significance of these three verses. So if you let me and trust me to paraphrase the significance of it, God created the world, and as the Scriptures will go on to unfold, the Scriptures teach that creation is this house, this, this building. We'll see this in the Psalms, Psalm 78, verse 69. 
And God, he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has founded forever. Psalm 84, verse 1 through 4. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs and even yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house. Where's this house? Well, where he's created the skies and where he has allowed him to live and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are, forever, they are ever praising you. The rest of Scripture will portray the creation of all, the world that we're in as a house. Isaiah 66, 1-2. They say, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? In contrast to the house I built. And where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. One more. I hope you can see this. One of the challenges that we face when we read Genesis is we read Genesis in isolation. The Pentateuch is what we would say is the five first books of the Old Testament. And you're not supposed to read Genesis without the others. And you'll find that the creation account in chapter 1 is linked to a building. It's linked to a place in which God dwells. It's linked to the tabernacle. And in fact, when God revealed to the nation of Israel how he might dwell with them, he began to give them the plans of how God might dwell with them. Established, if you read Leviticus, you read Exodus, you will see the extensive work that needs to take place to create a tabernacle. But I want you to see, I'm going to read one passage, but I want you to see the link. It's just five verses, Exodus 31 is the beginning of, build the tabernacle, and the significance which God will historically present of the significance of the seventh day. Exodus 31, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths. Why? There was a time in which the world worked. We're going to get to chapter 3 here in a little bit next week. We messed it up. The Sabbath, was a, this was the sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See this language in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2. It was sanctified the seventh day. For therefore you are to observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. And whoever does any work on it that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days, work may be done, but on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord, and whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. This is, the critic be like, this is why I don't love God, because he is unreasonable. Well, the reality is, is we don't know where in the world we're at. If 
Mankind is created in the image of God to be the physical representation to his creation. The reason why he says work six days and take the seventh day off is because that's what I did. And you're the image of me. So as I did, you do. And if you don't, you will be put to death. Because that's what I created you for. Pretty cool. Well, not the dead thing, but understanding why we exist. And it's linked to the creation account. Look, it's continued. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, that on the seventh day he ceased from labor labor, and was refreshed. When you make the Genesis account about when did God create the heavens and the earth, you miss what we're in. What we, are we in? The nation of Israel and God's people have equated the tabernacle to the cosmic realm that we're in. We're in the temple of God. And what, happen, what happens in temples? Worship. There's a system of life which happens in the temple amongst all creation. Like we just sang this morning. Do you not realize we're being that which God has created us to be? To sing His praises. To declare physically to the world around us who the invisible God is. And God says that's so significant. Take a day off to do so. And so the heavens were, there was a time when the heavens, the earth were complete and all their hosts. First chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 2. And by the seventh day, as the rest of the Old Testament will go on to disgrace, it is a unique day. It's sanctified. It's a place of rest. And we carry this idea of rest, like this idea where you could take, take a day off and do nothing. And that's not what rest means. Rest means worship. Doing that which God has created you to do. Declaring the greatness of the one who is over the temple. Okay. Convictional response. And I have gone long. I didn't know how I'm going to do this. We're going to be handling large sections. How do you respond to a passage like this? Well, if you know where we're at, the temple of God, if you know who you are, You're the representative for the invisible God physically to the creation around us. Don't blaspheme in the temple. It was historically viewed as punishable, eternally separation from God to go into the temple and sacrifice a pig on it. We recognize that. Why? Because a lamb. God has organized how and what manner Levite would atone for sins on the, on the altar. A sin within the little temple is a sin just in the cosmic as well, temple. And so God in his sovereignty has established morality. Unfaithfulness is a blaspheme against the creator who has created you, who you and I have been created to reflect to the rest of creation. In a temple, it's beautiful because there's forgiveness and redemption. Right? 
the means by which you could be made right. Man, if God created his universe as a courtroom, we're done. But he's created it as a temple. So there is redemption for sins. And so as the people of God, we represent the invisible God, not just to creation, but to each other, that we ought to forgive each other of our sins. Reconcile with one another, because this is exactly what God has done over his cosmic temple for you and I. Man, when you understand where in the world we are and who in the world you are, it gives you purpose. So when you go out and you see the blue sky, you see the stars in the sky, you understand what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to live like the Creator who does nothing but good. And He does it all the time. That's all I have. I think there's enough to think there. <laughs> but one that challenges me the most, and I'll end with this. God gave a length to the day. Why? I can't be God. He's humbled me by time. God's sovereign. I'm like creation. I wear out. And so, so many of us just work, 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 and have very little time for worship. God deems it that we get our rest, not, not doing nothing but committing ourselves to regular fellowship and worship. And God is going to shape an entire nation around this creation account. On the seventh day, people of Israel, you're going to worship me. And all the nations in the world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that same model is applied to the church. And that's why we worship on Sundays. We don't go to work today. Why? Because someone is taking care of us. Let's pray. Lord, the depths of what we could go through in chapter 1 and 2, man, Lord, we, it would take a lifetime to f- comprehend. And I come to the conviction that if I have failed utterly to faithfully represent you to the world in front of me, whether it be my family, even my peers among my brothers and sisters, to do that faithfully like you, I have failed. But praise God we live in the temple of God who has provided an altar within it to atone for our sins so that we might be reconciled to the Creator and you have promised, not just in the first chapter of your scriptures, but also in the end, Revelation, that there is a new temple coming and it will function eternally and the people within it will be faithful to you forever. And I long for those days. And Lord, I pray as we walk out from here, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to recognize the royal position that you have placed us as your image. And let us consider today how we might respond in doing good, not just to each other, but to the world in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.